Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us uh, online and uh, for being a part of what's happening here today. Uh, today, I'm actually finishing up a series that we've been uh, speaking on and teaching on called Living Intention. And uh, I hope that you've had an opportunity to to listen in on, on those different teachings. There's been some incredible teachings, and I would encourage you, if you've missed a couple of weeks, to go to our website and check that out. I think it will be a great challenge or encouragement to you. Uh, it's just, this series is based on the simple idea that as human beings, we're going to live uh, with people around us uh, who think, act, believe differently than we do. And how do we do that well? And uh, there's just been some really great advice given uh, over these last several weeks. And so today, I want to take that and talk about our church. How do we live well with, with those around us as a church? You know, at some level, the church has always lived in tension with the world around it, that, that our values and the world's values are not the same. And so, how do we do that well? How do we live with the authorities over us? How do we live with the social structures over us? How do we live with other churches? How do we live with each other when we think or act or behave differently than maybe what we, we would uh, desire. And so there's some really good advice for us uh, in the book of Titus, and I'm going to be looking into that uh, this morning. But before I do, I want to tell you just a little bit about my own story. Uh, in 1999, my wife and I were asked to start a new congregation in Ames, Iowa. And so uh, we, we thought about that, prayed about that, and um, you know, we were pretty excited about it. In fact, uh, some seeds for that whole idea of starting a new church in a new community was, was, were planted um, a few years prior to that. As we were, had graduated from college, uh, we spent a summer researching some, some cities here in the Midwest, working for the denomination, and trying to figure out, would there be good places for, for the church to, to start new congregations? And so that's really kind of where that, that whole thing got, uh, that seed got planted in me. And so as we decided to go to Ames, one of the things that we got to do is we went to a training. Uh, it was called a church planting boot camp and uh, went to Denver, Colorado for a week. And it was there that I actually met uh, Ed Baker. Uh, that was my first interaction with Ed and with Orchard Hill Church. And uh, that was a really exciting time. It was fun to uh, spend time with Ed. In fact, we were reminiscing about that over the, the holiday, that Christmas break, and he reminded me of that time. And so we, we just had a good time, and I learned a lot, and I was really excited to go uh, to Ames. And, and we moved, and we, we start this, this whole thing, this new congregation, this new church. And I, I remember very distinctly, relatively quickly, uh, I learned how hard this is really going to be. I found myself having to defend why I was doing what I was doing. And uh, I was uh, in conversation with friends or with neighbors or whatever. And, uh, you know, the, the conversation always got to back to, well, what do you do? And I'd say, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay, what church? And I said, well, uh, you know, the church isn't, doesn't exist yet. And, uh, you know, oh, okay, well, so um, what do you do? And I could just hear and kind of see their, their, their wheels spinning as I was talking to them, and, you know, and I think one of those questions was, well, with all these churches, why do we need another church, and, and what kind of thing is this that doesn't have a name, and, and then they'd say, well, where do you meet, and I'd, <laughs> I would say, well, we're actually meeting in houses right now, and I think their thought was, uh, is this a cult, and uh, well, but hey, guess what, in just a few weeks, we're going to actually be meeting 
in a, in a hotel conference room. Uh, you can come and be a part of it there. And I, I could say, oh, so it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> and so I just, I kind of felt these questions and I had to kind of defend what is it that we're doing and why is it we're doing this? And, uh, and so we got that. And then we got started. And uh, new people would come in, uh, new people from the community, some new people to faith and, and church life. And then all of the questions sort of raised about, well, why aren't you teaching about this? Or when are we going to do this? And, and so we had not just the external sort of pressures of what and why are you doing this, uh, but also internally all these questions and expectations. And it really was a challenge. And then I'll never forget, I'm about I'm maybe six or eight months into this thing, and uh, I got called by a pastor in town, and he was a pastor of a relatively um, you know, influential church in town, and, and uh, he said, hey, I, I heard you're in town. I'd like to meet you. Can I take you out for lunch? And I was like, great. That would be great. I'd love that. Let's do that. And so we went out for, for lunch, and uh, it became very clear to me that... Um, that I was uh, not a friend or a partner in ministry, but suddenly I was now sort of a threat, and I'd crossed a boundary. And uh, he just said, you know, made it clear to me that, that I needed to kind of watch myself. And so I left there very discouraged and feeling on an island. I thought, wow, what do we do with that? And how do we find our way? So managing expectations internally managing expectations externally. So how do we as a church uh, relate to the authorities over us? How do we as a church relate to other churches? How do we relate to each other? Well, I just want to read from Titus chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul, I think, gives us some really practical advice. And this is what it says. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Those things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And then he says this, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Well, as I read these, these verses, 1 through 11, there's really unpacked in, in three paragraphs and they've got some incredible little nuggets that I just want to lift out, these, this wisdom that comes from Paul as he's speaking to his mentee, uh, uh, Titus, and he's talking to them. 
So what is the, the first sort of paragraph? What, what do we, can we pull out from that? Well, I just don't want to say it's, uh, it's really, I think, two words. As a church, what are we to be as Christians? How are we to act? There's a pursuit and there's a posture. There's a pursuit and there's a posture. In other words, Paul is giving us uh, what we are to do and how we are to do it. The pursuit is what? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to relate to, to the authorities over us, to the social institutions around us, to those outside the church? What are we supposed to do? He gives us three words. Be subject, be obedient, and do good. Be subject, be obedient, and do good. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. No matter what, what uh, you know, the world is doing, be a good, loyal citizen. Do the right thing. Pursue good. And then he tells us how. How we're supposed to do that. In fact, it's really clear. He gives us, again, three words. Don't slander no one. In other words, don't speak ill of anyone. Don't speak behind their back. Don't slander them. Be peaceable. In other words, seek to reconcile and be a bridge builder to those around you. And then be considerate. The idea is simply this, that I'm going to dial down my own desires and my own personal wants and needs, and I'm going to dial up the concerns of the other. I'm going to dial that up. I'm going to put mine down and lift up the other. I'm going to be considerate. And then he says this, and be gentle. Another word for that might be be meek or be humble. Be humble. So slander no one, be peaceable, considerate, and be humble towards everyone. That's our posture. We are to be servants. Now, it's so interesting to me as I think about Paul and who he's writing to. He's writing to his, his mentee, mentee called Titus, and he's saying, look, I want you to speak to not, not the world, but I want you to remind other followers of Jesus, this little budding church, I want you to remind them of something. And, and Paul is famous for doing that in all his letters. He gives these codes, what scholars called household codes, about how we are to relate to one another. And this is part of this. This is a household code. And he says, I want you to do good and be a servant. I want you to do good and be a servant. Be servants to those around you. You know, here's the amazing thing to me. The early church uh, did not experience the kind of freedom, the kind of liberty that we have when it comes to being the church. Many times they were under oppression and suffered greatly. And yet they are to be submissive, be obedient to the authorities over them. And that's what they're saying. In other words, Paul's not saying, look, the church is never supposed to be revolutionary by seeking and grabbing power or by being violent or any other way. No, I want you to be revolutionary by how you treat each other and how you treat the world. That's how we're to be revolutionary, by how we love one another. There's this pursuit to be obedient, to be respectable, to be peaceable, to be considerate, and posture. And in that, we can change the hearts and minds of those around us. Being good, doing good. 
towards others. Now, here's the thing. That's the first paragraph. So the second paragraph is really the why. Why in the world would we do that? And he starts that paragraph by, by reciting some, so a reminder, if you will. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved, and he, all, with all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. He's just kind of saying, look, all of us have been those people, if you will, <laughs> those people out there. And I think what he's really saying is this, there's not those people out there. It is all of us have made mistakes. All of us have been unkind. All of us have made poor decisions. All of us have been attached to all these kinds of passions and pleasures. All of us are in deep need of God's grace and God's mercy. He reminds them. And then in verse 4, it says, he uses, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. In other words, We've all had this encounter. Again, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christians. We've had this encounter with Jesus. And it's because of his love and his mercy and the work of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say this. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, for the purpose that, that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. In other words, that we would become heirs to the kingdom, that we would be prince, princes and princesses in his kingdom. That's what God has done. In other words, he's saying, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to submit. I want you to obey. I want you to do right, do good, serve those around you. That's how we're to relate to sort of the world, if you will. Why? Because of what God has done for us. His love for us. His mercy extended to us. And because what he's given us. And in verse 8, he reminds us again. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Okay? That's what he says. So there's this pursuit, there's this posture, and there's this motive. Why? Why do we do what we do? Well, because we have experienced the love of God, the grace of Jesus, and now we are to do good with those around us. But at this last, this third paragraph, I want us to move to that. This third paragraph, he gives us some strong words, and it's really a warning. And the warning just begins like this. He said, but avoid foolish controversies. And let me just stop right there. Avoid foolish controversy. And then he goes on and he describes some foolish controversy. He's speaking to, to the people of his day, because what was happening was that wherever Paul and his friends went to plant a new church, there were teachers and, uh, called Judaizers or Jewish teachers that would come in behind them and say, yeah, Paul's great, but really here's what you need to know. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to really be uh, you know, circumcised and following Jewish customs and, and following Jewish law. And Paul says no. That's not it. 
Avoid foolish controversies. Stop fighting with each other over this. And in fact, he says, warn a divisive person once. After that, have nothing to do with them, and you may be sure that they are warped and sinful. It's a, it's a warning. So he's not only speaking to how we are to relate to those outside of our walls, he's also talking to them within the walls. He said, look, stop going into these places of foolish controversy. Just don't go there. And maybe we need to decide, is what he's saying, I think, what kind of people do we want to be? Instead of sort of fighting with one another, or instead of sort of pointing our finger at the world and saying, this, they got it all wrong, and maybe pointing out how can we can uh, be right, maybe we just need to do good. Are we more concerned about being right, or do we want to do good? And at the end of the day, we're, we're going to disagree about certain things. But if it's not sort of at the center, the heart of the gospel, if it's not this line in the sand moment, the center set of beliefs, then it's probably a foolish controversy. And so stop fighting. Stop fighting on Facebook. Stop fighting in social media. Avoid those foolish controversies. And let's decide what kind of people we're going to be. Are we going to be committed to doing good and following Jesus? Committed to doing good, to be that transformative uh, sort of presence, to help others experience this transformational experience of God's grace and His mercy. I just want to um, offer some ideas and, and remind us of a few things. I want, I want to say uh, to us as a church, why is it that we as a church body, as Orchard Hill Church, are in Cedar Falls? Why are we in Grundy Center? Why are we in Waverly? <laughs> and not that I am the uh, expert in all that, but I, I, I want to share with you some of the reasons why I think we are in these communities and why we do what we do. Because that's what I think we need to remind ourselves about. So why are we here? Well, the first reason to me is that we are here to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations, or all people groups, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, and he says that over and over again in five different times in the New Testament. We're called to fulfill the Great Commission. We're called to tell people and show people the love of Jesus, exactly that second paragraph, this idea that, yes, we all make mistakes. Yes, we all make foolish choices. But God, in his mercy, gave his son. That's why we exist. You know, in 1962, Orchard Hill and Cedar Falls began. Well, in about 1960 or 61, the classes and, and a little church in Grundy County called Stout Reformed Church made a decision. They said, you know what, we want to start a church in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Why? Because population is changing because we believe that there are new people that will respond to a new church and come and help others know about this sort of transformational experience of encountering and following Jesus, encountering his mercy and his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why we do what we do. That's why we're in Grundy County. That's why we're in Waverly, to help fulfill the Great Commission. The other reason I think we're here and we're in Grundy and and in Waverly is because we want to reach the next generation. I think that's our unique calling. That's our unique mission that, that's been given to us by God. In fact, we say it in our mission statement to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. It is the thing that, that God has used over and over again to bring people to faith, that, that we want to be about helping the next generation understand who Jesus is and what he's done, his mercy and his grace. In fact, that's what the second grade Bible uh, uh, giveaway, uh, you know, we're giving Bibles to these second graders. That's what that's about. That's why we, why we do that. And it's why we do student ministry, why we do chaos and big house and basic and friends first and all these different opportunities for kids to hear and understand who Jesus is. And for that next generation of faith to respond. I think we're also in Cedar Falls, in Grundy County, and in Waverly to bring hope to a broken world. Hope to a broken world. The world is looking for hope. And the church actually knows the one true source of hope. And new churches, and churches that are Uh, I think doing the work of the kingdom, the work that Jesus has called us to, are effective at helping new people who've never heard about the hope Jesus can bring. They, They bring that with them. And that's what we do. And that's what we want to do. And it's so important for us to be about that. And over and over again, the thing that I love about Orchard is that we are passionately pursuing and helping uh, this world, understand who Jesus is and his, his love for them and his grace for them. So let me just, just close with a couple of reminders quickly about us and about how we, I think, are to relate to our world, how we're to relate to other churches, how we relate to each other. And I know you know these reminders, but um, I think it's worth saying the first reminder I want to say is this, we're not the only church on mission with God. We're not the only church on mission. Now, we're a great church, and there's tremendous things that, that God is doing and tremendous things that God is using in us, but we're not the only church, and that's a beautiful thing. And we, should, we, we are friends and we are partners in Christ with, with other churches in this community, in the Cedar Valley, in Grundy County, in Bramer County. We are partners with them. And where we can, we should seek to and continue to seek to partner with them. Why? Because we are on mission together as the broader church. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. I really wish my pastor friend that took me out to lunch that day uh, would have told me that. It would have meant a lot when I was first starting this new congregation. Well, I want to remind us that we are on mission with our friends across the street or down the road. We're not the only church on mission with God. Here's a second reminder. As we pursue this mission of telling people about who Jesus is and his grace and his mercy, we will encounter resistance. That's just the truth. And sometimes we need to be reminded. So can we seek to put the concerns of others before our own? 
Can we pursue this idea, this posture of, of servanthood and humility? Can we do good and seek to partner with those who are doing good? In fact, many of you in this church are already doing good, and you're involved in community uh, uh, kind of organizations that are doing good. We should know that, and we should partner with you. But we will always encounter resistance, whether it's outside or inside. And so, in a sense, we have to just decide what kind of people are we going to be. Are we going to try to be the pure person who's always right? Are we just going to do good? Can we do good? I think that's what Paul is in inviting and reminding Titus. That's what he's reminding that early church. This early church that was struggling under the oppression of, of government, under the, the threat of these other religious groups, and yet he said, do good. Why? Because of God's mercy in Jesus and his love for you and the hope that we have. That's why. Let's continue to be that kind of church. Let's just, let's just seek to do good and pursue God's mission together. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you in spite of ourselves and in spite of our history. And um, You extended your grace and your mercy to us. And you provided us incredible hope. Lord, would you continue to guide and direct our paths as, uh, path as a church? Would you help us um, relate well to each other? Would you help us relate well to the churches down the street? Would you help us relate well to, to those who are doing good in our community as well? And help us not to see people as enemies, but to see them in light of your grace and your eternal hope for them. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.